0: While Emma's handing those out, if you've got a Bible this morning, please open it up to Matthew chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's no no sweat at all. You'll find one in the back of the pew in front of you. You can use the index at the front to find the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter one. Generally, when we think of the story of Christmas, the story of Jesus' birth. we, we combine it all together, so the story includes the angels and the shepherds and the wise men. Uh, but in the Gospel accounts, we have pretty significant division or difference between those stories. Uh, not because there's any disagreement on what happened, uh, but because they each pers- uh, record a different perspective. And this isn't hard to see. If you open up the Gospel of Luke, you'll see very clearly that it's following Mary's story. And so it's Mary's visitation that gets recorded. It's Mary's relationship with Elizabeth uh, that is talked about. It's Mary who provides the perspective. Um, But in Matthew, it's Joseph. And uh, Matthew chapter 1, where we're looking in verses 18 through 25, I think is the most bare bones of the Christmas story account. Uh, In fact, we're not even going to read into chapter 2, where the wise men come to visit Jesus. And so really, all we have here is the story of an unplanned pregnancy. That's the entire story of Christmas, according to the passage we're going to read this morning. Um, In fact, what I want to focus on this morning is... Uh, is that the first Christmas was unexpected. Every Christmas since has been anticipated. We count down the days. You know, come come July, we're thinking about it. Come November, the decorations are up in the store. Come December, we're counting down the days. But where Joseph is at, where where Mary is at, this first Christmas, this first gift in Jesus Christ is completely unexpected. Uh, Christmas begins with an unplanned pregnancy. And so read the passage with me here in Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they became together, she was found to be with child from the holy spirit. And her husband Joseph being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, as we look at your word and as we reflect on the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the good news, it begins with a birth. I pray, Lord, as we look at it this morning, we would come to better understand your character and your goodness. I pray, Lord, that this reality of the first Christmas would inform this coming Christmas as we gather with family and with friends And also, Lord, I pray that it would form us as we face the unexpected that inevitably comes with Christmas. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now, when I talk about the first Christmas being unexpected, there's a few things that I don't want to focus on. There's a few things that I don't mean. My father was the master of the unexpected Christmas gift. Almost every year there was something on the tree not only did none of us ask for, but no one knew existed. And I've never known my father to watch The Shopping Network or something like that, but that's the only place I can imagine these gifts originated from. For example, the miracle keyboard, which came with software, my dad was always an early adapter, software so your computer could teach you how to play the piano. I am a failure of that present today. Uh, or the time he got us a Magnavox DVD-based computer that connected to your television uh, and came with visual encyclopedias and a handful of games, an entire software library, which was probably the complete software library for whatever this item was. When I talk about the unexpected Christmas, I'm not really focusing on gifts that no one wanted. Uh, I'm also not talking about that uh, obligatory interaction with a distant relative who has very strong opinions that you did not expect. What strikes me about this story um, is actually how tremendously human it is. How we constantly are reminded as human beings how surprising life is and how unexpected it is. Now, for Joseph here, he discovers that Mary is pregnant. They're engaged, in fact, as Jews in the first century, they're not just engaged, but betrothed. And according to Jewish law, that means on paper, legally, they're already married, even though their marriage has not yet been consummated. That's why it says here in Matthew that Joseph was trying to divorce her quietly. Okay. Now, According to Jewish law, if Mary had been an adulterer, that's not just grounds for the end of the marriage, but grounds for the end of Mary's life. In fact, one of Joseph's distant descendants, Judah, Joseph being from the tribe of Judah, once discovers that his daughter in law is pregnant outside of marriage, and he says, Bring her forward and we will burn her to death. It's intense. Joseph responds in a very different way. It says here he was a just man, so he was looking for a way to put her uh, away quietly. He knew the marriage couldn't come forward. He was clearly disappointed, but he didn't want to bring neither death nor shame on Mary. He found himself in a pickle. But have you ever thought about the fact that this story isn't like other unexpected pregnancies? Right? It's not something that happened Because of Mary's decisions, uh, because of any other circumstance, as unexpected as this is, it is God's plan. It is exactly how God wanted this to play out. In fact, look there at verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. It was the plan. It was exactly as God desired it to be. And yet, what did it feel like? What did it look like for Joseph? It was unexpected. It was an obvious interruption, right? If they're betrothed at this point, they're preparing for a wedding, and now those plans are in jeopardy. In Joseph's life, right here, it's an emotional response that he has. In fact, that's the only way I think you can explain his actions. He clearly cares very deeply for Mary, he's stuck. He doesn't know what to do here. Not only that, but let me remind you, although the Jews as a whole, in the large, had a extensive expectation that one day God would send the Messiah. In fact, even women who were waiting to become pregnant wondered if they would be the one. That's why in the Old Testament, barrenness is seen to be such a horrible thing because it removes you from that true great blessing of being the mother of the Messiah. But Mary wasn't expecting this. At least not right now, not in this time. It came as a surprise. But again, I want to point out, although it wasn't in their plans, although it was a change in their plans, although it wasn't what they expected, it was God's plan. In fact, uh, notice what Matthew says in verse 22. He says, all this... Joseph, and Mary, and the angel, and the virgin birth, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Hundreds of years prior, Isaiah had spoken of this time, and this is what he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so it was according to the plan, and this is one of the things we have to understand about the difference between us and God. Okay? We tend to think that we are in control. We plan as if we're in control. We prepare as if we're in control. Just the way we respond when things get a little out of control demonstrates how foolish and how significant this part of human nature is. Right? We are plan makers, and we expect those plans to stay where we put them. But they often don't. But God here, all the way back in Isaiah, he lays out a plan, and the plan is literally, on paper, impossible. God says, I'm going to do something that does not happen. A virgin shall conceive and bear a child. I'm going to do something new. I'm going to do the impossible But another thing that I want to point out about God's plan here is in Isaiah, the same one who gave this prophecy, he lays down both the fact that he makes plans and the fact that they inevitably come to pass as being evidence that he is God. Isaiah says a little bit different, or a little bit later in the book, uh, he's speaking for God. God says, What other God is like me, declaring the end from the beginning? And saying, my will shall come to pass. God is the great plan maker. And as it says in Proverbs, men and women may make their plans, but the Lord directs his steps. Okay? There is a massive variable in all of your plans. And it's not the weather. And it's not the behavior of that mysterious aunt or uncle. It is the fact that God is sovereign. That's what happens to Joseph's life here. He's on a path, he's on a trail, he's driving his train down the track, and suddenly the track changes. And he goes, this was not the plan. And if we can read between the lines here, God says, oh yes it is. You see, it is unexpected here. But that doesn't mean that it's not good. That's what Joseph needs help Understanding. And again, this is very emotional for him. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Watch at least three Hallmark movies, and you can find this feeling on screen even in the holidays, right? It's disappointment, it's confusion. He's probably tremendously hurt. I imagine he's thinking, How could she do this to me? He's thinking, What will I tell my family and friends? How will I break the news to my parents? And then there's the mess that this creates. How can I handle this in a way that doesn't put the rest of her life or the rest of my reputation at risk? He's got all this going on. In fact, one of the ones that I find fascinating here, he's afraid. Notice notice when the angel comes in a dream to Joseph what he says. He says there in verse 20, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as a wife. That's the same way we handle the unexpected. Fear, disappointment, frustration, confusion, deep consideration, as it says about Joseph right here. But I also want you to notice that this gift was unwanted. Okay, Now, not in the sense that Joseph didn't want a son. Not even in the sense, because we know the end of the story, that Joseph wasn't interested in salvation it just wasn't part of his purview right now. What Joseph wanted was to marry, Mary and start a family. What Joseph wanted was the usual things that a 30-year-old man would want in Jewish society. He was about to get stable, about to settle down. It's not that he wanted different things. He just settled for less things. And the truth is, there's a fuller reality in this because remember, Jesus' birth here is not the response of hundreds of years of humanity crying out and asking God to work. Jesus' coming here is not a response to our ask, but only our need. God sets up a plan. He wants to give us a gift that we have not yet asked for. And I want you to notice what that gift is because there's a way where this unexpected changes all other unexpected, where this Christmas changes all other Christmas. And it's simply this. What was it that God was doing at this time? And notice again the prophecy of Isaiah, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. In a significant way, the gift that God gave Mary and Joseph, the gift that God gave us on Christmas, was the gift of himself. That God would come and be with us. Now again, I don't think there's any of us who goes, "Eh, I'm not really interested in that. But we're not seeking it. We're not really looking for it. We would settle for God to bless us and give us good things but that he would actually want to be with us for many of us is much bigger, much broader than we would expect. The gift of God's presence and that means kind of three different things. One, it means God becomes man. It means that God shares in the human experience and that is the profundity of the Christmas story, right? That this baby in all of his vulnerability, in all of his hunger, in all of his needs, in all of the danger that's presented of being a child in the first century world, God freely and willingly takes that upon himself. Jesus becomes a man, but before he becomes the Jesus of the Gospels, later on, he becomes a baby with hunger and thirst and tiredness. The author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus understands our temptations and trials because he's borne them himself. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be sad, to be disappointed, to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to experience the full gamut of human experience. That, I may remind you, is the difference between empathy and sympathy. Sympathy. God doesn't just look on from a distance and say, that must be hard. He knows it. And he doesn't just know it. He willfully and willingly chose it for himself. But not only that, but also God came so that he might be with us. If you go back to the beginning, here is the great problem that the Bible presents in humanity. That we have been separated from God. That's not how it starts. God creates Adam and Eve. He's walking with them in the coolness of the garden. He's very present. Their whole creation is basically so that they might be with God. God doesn't need human beings, but he is so loving in his character, he creates human beings just so that he might love them. their rebellion their choices their willfulness their sinfulness gets in the way and that creates a separation and a distance and if you keep reading through the history of israel even for god's chosen people israel even for the ones that he's doing miraculous deliverance for even the one who he lays out the law and all of these things we see a tremendous threat don't we a tremendous danger between israel and god which is basically the presence of a holy god in the presence of a sinful people the sacrificial laws the kosher laws all of the rituals of judaism the tabernacle with all of its divisions the priesthood being set apart the anointing rituals all of that is about that distance and how hard how difficult it is to bridge pastor chuck smith used to say it has always been hard for me to wrap my head around how we as finite human beings can reach across the divide to the infinite. But he says, but how much easier is it to imagine the infinite reaching down to us? And that's what God does in Jesus Christ. And it's not just to give us a gift, but to be with us. Jesus comes, he dwells with us, and not just in the short range, he doesn't just visit earth, but the whole plan of the New Testament leads to a place where we dwell with Jesus and with the Father eternally. If you read the book of Revelation and you ask, what is the unique aspect of a Christian view of an afterlife? What makes heaven heaven to the Bible? The answer is, is it's the place where the people of God dwell with God forever, uninterrupted, without any distance? That is what makes heaven, heaven, according to the New Testament. God with us is the gift of Christmas. But it's also, and it has to be this last one to accomplish that goal, it's also God for us. Now, you may have noticed that the angel uh, says, according to Israel, or according to Isaiah, excuse me, you shall call his name Isaiah. And then he says, but I want you to call him Jesus excuse me, Isaiah says Emmanuel, right, God with us. That is the character of Jesus, but it's not the whole story. Instead, he says, you shall name him Jesus. Now, in the Hebrew, they would have called Jesus Joshua, Yeshua. Okay? The same name for Joshua of the Old Testament is the name that Jesus has. Actually, it's tremendously common. Just as if you were to go to Mexico today because of the influence of Catholicism, you would find a whole bunch of Jesuses. Okay? We don't find a lot of English Jesuses. Uh, but in Jesus' day, there were plenty of Jesus's, Okay, But the name is significant. Uh, he says, uh, you should call him Jesus because, verse 21, he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means the Lord is salvation. Now, I've just suggested to you that one of the things that Emmanuel suggests is that salvation is the Lord that God is the gospel, that the good news is God with us. But the way that that comes about, Jesus doesn't just become a man. He doesn't just come and be present with us. He lives a human life and finds himself crucified on a cross. And Jesus and the rest of the New Testament proclaims that that is God's greatest gift. Not just his coming, not just his birth, but his death. You see, for many of us, we look at our lives, or we think of religion, or we think of the possibilities of knowing God, and we see ourselves as needing to be the gift giver. If I can just figure out what it is God wants and give it to Him, then He will give me whatever I quantify salvation to be. But the name Jesus moves in the opposite direction. For the Christian, Jesus is our salvation. Salvation is a gift. We don't give something to God, we receive something God has done for us, and that is in Jesus Christ. And again, ponder the significance of this. That while we are distracted by the small things that God has given, good things that He's made in life, friends and fellowship, food, and music and these types of things, while we go after small glories like success or wealth or these types of things, God wants to give us something greater. While we, at our religious best, are thinking what is it that God demands of me? What is it God requires of me? How can I fix what is clearly broken? And let me just remind you, we all know that this is the case. We all experience the alienation from God, and we may feel like it's his fault and not ours. We're much more likely as human beings to ask God, where are you, than God, why am I so distant from you? We presume the fault is his. Despite that fact, God throughout history, as planned out in the book of Isaiah, as executed in the life and death of Jesus, is working to solve that problem, to restore relationship, to freely invite us, and not just back into the standing that Adam and Eve had, but actually adopt us into his family, to make us his children, to give us the full inheritance and benefits that Jesus earns through a perfect and sinless life. All ours for the taking, freely given. This is why gift-giving, this is why generosity to this day maintains being the heart of Christmas. But there's a reason why we don't put gifts under the tree for God. Not even in a symbolic sense. It's because, ultimately, Christmas isn't about what we give God, but about what he has given in Jesus Christ. Now, I just want to point out, and this is my sole application, because I know how holidays can be. I know how often they maintain and continue the one true tradition of Christmas, which is the unexpected. I know that in our human lives, we are regularly shattered by the interruption of our plans. And let me just remind you, this world is too big for you. You cannot master it. This life that you're trying to live is very much the majority percentage outside of your control. But it's not outside of God's control. It's not outside of his purview. And I just want to point out to you that because of this great gift in Jesus Christ, because of the reality of Emmanuel, God with us, all unexpected can be welcomed. Because none of it is put on our shoulders alone. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now I know none of you use a yoke in your daily experience, it's not part of your job, but you can picture it, right? It's this wooden frame that goes around an animal so that it can pull a plow. But the yoke that Jesus is talking about is a two-person yoke. Okay? What he's basically saying is, come and walk with me and I'll carry the weight. That's why Paul says we can cast our cares upon God because he cares for us. It means if God is with us that we can expect the unexpected because it's not unexpected to him. As much as you might be sent to your, you know, to your mind to run the scenarios and to figure out a plan forward, God needs no pause to calculate, to come up with a plan B. And the most significant one is, I don't know anything greater than in the unexpected and it doesn't matter if it's cancer or a plain calculation that makes us feel alone, than the unexpected. When life doesn't go the way we're thinking, the direct result of that is the awareness of our own isolation. But if God is with us, we're not alone. That changes the unexpected, doesn't it? Because it's not something that's just been dropped in your lap. It was planned. And it's not just something you'll have to face on your own. You have help. And most importantly, you were not alone. And God was so committed to being with you that He bridged this gap, that He became a man, that He came to be with us. And then He did what was necessary so that we might forever be with Him in Jesus Christ. That is the significance of the birth story here. But Matt was right. We tend, to, we tend to change the Christmas story and focus on the uniqueness of it. And there's no getting around the fact that Mary's birth is one in all of history that is unique. But the experience of it still involves carrying a baby nine months to term. Still involves the disruptions that hap- happen with the birth of a baby. Still involves all of the this is not how I planned it of life and Joseph experiences that in the very beginning of this reality. The gift that defines the first Christmas was unexpected, but that is just a demonstration of the goodness of God and how tremendous His love is for us. He didn't check our wish list He didn't settle for what we wanted, but gave us instead what we needed. And it's better than we could have ever asked or hoped or even dreamed for. That is the reality of Christmas. And my encouragement to all of us this morning as we go into whatever this next week entails is to live in that reality. To enjoy the true benefits of God with us. And if you're not a Christian here this morning... That gift is ready and available to you. It's got your name right on it, but it does have to be opened. It does have to be received. Again, Jesus said, come unto me, all who are weary or heavy laden. The invitation is there, but it has to be responded to. And the way you do that is really simple. It's by agreeing with what God says about you and your needs. Agreeing that you are a sinner in need of saving. Agreeing that the problems in your life are too big for you to solve. Agreeing that you need what God has offered in the gospel. It also involves believing that Jesus accomplished everything that was necessary. When we as Christians talk about faith, we're not talking about a positive view of what happens next. We're talking about trusting in a person who has proven himself faithful. We're talking about entrusting ourselves to Jesus's strength, power, goodness, righteousness, and not our own. And then it it means as well committing to follow Jesus, to make him not just savior, but Lord. But again, look at the type of Lord that Jesus is. Now for all of us who are non-Christians, you have to ask the big question, did this really happen? Is it really true? Jesus, the Bible, Christianity, myself, none of us are afraid of you asking those questions. They must be asked. But, but if they are true, why would you not receive this gift? The good news of the gospel is so good, it's worth investigating. It's so good, it's worth considering. It's so good, it's worth studying. But don't be surprised if you open yourself up to that, if God interrupts your plans, and you discover that it's not you who's seeking for him at all, but him who's been seeking all along. And maybe it won't come in the vision or the dream of an angel like it does with Joseph. For many of us who are Christians, our story is much more simple than that, but it's usually just as unexpected. And all of us will tell you personally that when God found us, we weren't really looking in the way that he was. But for all of us this morning, let's just recognize that Christmas, yes, is about generosity, it is about giving, and it is best celebrated with deep pockets and big gifts, but only as a reflection and as a response to the greatest gift that was ever given One that was unplanned for, unexpected, and the best ever. Let's pray. Father, we are often as human beings about building our own kingdom, about laying our own plans, about determining our own way. And we thank you, Lord, that you didn't let us settle with that. That you didn't just leave us to our little plans and problems. But instead, Lord, you sent Jesus, God in the flesh, so that you might be with us, so that we might be with you, so that the relationship would be restored. And because that is the case, we can trust you with every other unexpected. We can face any other adversary. We can face any other problem and know that we are not alone. And know that it's unexpected for us, but it's part of the plan for you. Thank you, Lord, that in the Christian life there are no detours. And we know where the road leads, because it's the road that leads back to you. We just praise you today, and we pray that our celebration of your goodness this Sunday would be filled with the joyous response that it's appropriate for such a gift. We pray this in your name. Amen. We're going to respond by continuing to sing today, uh, but we're going to add to our response the possibility to come forward and partake of communion. Communion is a way that we as Christians remember the gift of Christ, that what he gave us was his body broken as represented in the bread, bread, that all we have in our salvation is sealed in his blood, the new covenant available uh, as represented in the cup. And so feel free as we sing on your own time to come forward and partake If you're not a Christian, I would encourage you, instead of receiving communion, to just receive Christ. Without that, the ritual is empty. And with that, the ritual is filled with meaning. Let's go ahead and respond.